grey. So there I was, sitting in the passenger seat of a ripped-off Ford Mondeo next to my best mate Chris Langtree. From where we were parked in the shadowy forecourt of one of a row of abandoned warehouses, we had a view of the long, quiet road almost up to the mouldering brick wall at its far end. At that far end, although we couldn't see them from our position, Ray Duffy and Cosmic Dennis were sitting in a brown Vauxhall Vectra, also ripped off. The Vectra was tucked into the pothole entrance of a long, disused textile factory, so snug against the high wall which enclosed the factory grounds that Cosmic Dennis wouldn't have been able to open his door more than an inch, even if he'd wanted to. This meant that the car would be unseen by any vehicle turning onto the street at its far end. I couldn't help imagining the Vectra as a funnel-web spider poised in the darkness of its lair, ready to leap out on unsuspecting prey. The heist had been Ray's idea. By the time Chris got me involved, everything was sorted, all the details worked out with military precision. I didn't know what I was getting into at first. Chris rang me at work one day, I couldn't even afford a home phone, and said that he had a proposition for me. I went round to his flat that night expecting, I don't know, something mildly dodgy, I suppose. I'd known Chris since primary school, and we were like brothers. We didn't live in each other's pockets, we didn't always see eye to eye, but we trusted each other implicitly. Chris worked in a shop selling electrical equipment for DJs and bands, record decks, sound systems, that sort of thing. But he made most of his money from fencing, the kind that involves stolen goods, not poking people with swords, and from selling dope to muso potheads on the side. In the past, he'd slipped me a few quid to store ripped-off gear in my bedsit or to look after his stash while the cops were sniffing around. I'd once had a pair of speakers taking up most of the floor space in my bedroom with ZZ Top stenciled on the side. This time it was different, though. The second I stepped through the door of his grotty housing association flat, I heard voices. Chris handed me a tin of McEwen's, which wasn't anywhere near cold enough, and cast me an odd glance, half sly and half apologetic, which immediately made me uneasy. Hey, come through, he said, turning away from me. We're in here. I followed him down the narrow corridor, breathing in the musty scent from the damp, mottled walls, and into a square room which doubled as his bedroom and main living space. The floor was carpeted with a sludge-brown nylon weave, and the walls were lined with haphazard stacks of electrical equipment. The low central table was cluttered with crumpled beer cans, empty coffee mugs and joint-rolling paraphernalia. To my left, slumped on the sagging sofa bed beneath the big window, which looked out onto the street, Dennis Jasper snorted in apparent mirth, snagging my attention. He was a rangy, rattled man with a long, bony, deeply lined face and stiff, mousy hair that stuck out at all angles. He wore a ratty old waistcoat over an off-white T-shirt, drainpipe jeans which made his legs look as spindly as broom handles, and tan leather cowboy boots. He was sucking on a spliff pinched between the thumb and forefinger of his right hand, his mouth wrinkling inwards like a contracting anus. He took a good lungful of smoke, the end of the spliff crackling and glowing orange as it burned down, then offered it to me. I shook my head not because I was averse to weed, but because I couldn't face the thought of putting my lips where his fingers had been.
Dennis Jasper, known as Cosmic Dennis because of the bullshit he spouted whenever he was high, which was most of the time, was one of life's grubby men. His teeth were brown, his overlong fingernails were permanently clogged with black gunge, and his moist-looking, dirting-grain skin exuded a faint odour of old toilets. He gave another cackle, as though my refusal was the punchline to a private joke, and said something incomprehensible about the angel of death. Still holding the unopened can of beer in my hand, I looked away from him, turning my attention to the other man in the room. He was already leaning forward, an old dining chair creaking beneath his solid, meaty bulk, as he offered his hand across the cluttered table. The clunky bracelet encircling his wrist and the thick silver rings on each of his fingers gave the impression that his body had been strengthened with metal joints, like a...